If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be the most trusted property podcast in Australia. I'm Amy and I'm a buyer's agent and I'm joined by... Chris Bates. And I'm a mortgage broker. (laughs) (laughs) And today we are talking about the process of buying. Mm. Now, it's going to be a relatively high level chat today because the process itself, we could talk for not only hours, but many days about the intricacies of each step in the process, but running you through the high level process, which is kind of broken down into the pre-buying, the buying and the post-buying, talking about each element involved so that you can then understand like a broad overview of the order of things and who you need to speak to and what happens at each stage. So then you can then go and do your own further research and investigations on the things that you're not quite sure about. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I mean, the property process is quite confusing. I mean, I had a client email me last week. And he's like, can you just remind me of what we do at this stage? Because it was all a blur. I, you know, they went through the process, purchased their first home, and now they're thinking about upgrading. And so um, it's something you always got to really think about. And I get yourself educated before you go down it because there's that many other things you're thinking about trying to buy a property. You know, is it a good asset? Is it the right asset? You don't want to also be thinking, is well, what am I going to do with my loan? Or what's, when do I ask for that? Or who do I speak to? So try to get as much education up front, which we'll talk through today. Yeah. I think the first thing that I would suggest you do it is get educated around what you can borrow and what is the right strategy first, you know, and getting clear on what do you need to do to be in position to borrow because sometimes it's things like, you know, swapping jobs or saving more, et cetera. So getting your finance, um, understanding of what you need to do first and the right type of property and then maybe speak to someone like a buyer's agent to really get an understanding of, uh, you know, what are you going to need to buy those assets or, you know, what compromises are you going to have to make, what mm-hmm. research are you going to have to do on different areas before you start getting all of a sudden down to getting bank pre-approvals and have no idea what you're going to do. Yeah. So, Chris, if I'm a property buyer, whether I'm an investor or a home buyer, how early is too early to be speaking to a mortgage broker? 
Look, I, I would speak to anyone at um, any stage, to be honest, because if I could sow the seeds today of what they're going to do over the next two or three years, um, bust some myths, especially around deposit. People think they need more than they actually do, or sometimes they think they need less. Um, you know, they're potentially stopping and making some work changes that are really going to stop them buying a property, maybe starting a business or et cetera. Um, so it's just educating them around what they can do from a finance point of view and what can do to improve that situation, like maybe not taking out that car loan, which, you know, all of a sudden they go to try to buy a property and they have to sell the car. And so it's just a, a waste of time. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely not never too early. And the thing with brokers is then go touch base with them as you're getting along the journey. So you might speak to them in 2023 and then, you know, in 20, early, late 2023, early 24, you speak to them again because lending will change, how much mm. you can borrow. Um, and then you just get an updated what how it's changed over that last year. And at this pre-buying process, it can be a little bit of a chicken and egg scenario too, where you might say, okay, well, I'm going to go to a mortgage broker. I know how much my income is at the moment, how much savings I've got, uh, and therefore that's going to tell me how much I can buy. Or it might be a case of, well, this is the location and the type of property that I want to purchase. How do I get there? How much savings do I need or how much income do I need to get there? So figuring out, you know, are, is your personal situation going to change much? Are you going to be able to achieve that type of property? And if not, what are your other options? So workshopping that at the very beginning. So sort of coming back to uh, even before Finance is what. What's your why? Why? Why are you actually doing this? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, are you doing it for the right reasons? Are you rushing into it because you think it's something that just should should be done? Yeah. Um, are you doing it because you just really value housing security? You've been kicked out of five rentals. That's more important to you, or is this a property that needs to perform in a certain way? Yeah. Um, so understanding your fundamentals of why and then your when, which is, well, am I able to achieve that outcome right now? Is this a two-year plan? Mm -hmm. um, not just buying something for the sake of it to get into the market. That's yep. a bit of a myth that you should just get into the market. It's it's absolutely terrible advice if it's not the right time for you. And then once you've figured those things out, then you can get your pre-approval in place and have a strategy on what you're buying there's no point in getting your pre-approval if you're then saying, okay, well, I've got this amount of money to spend. W what am I going to get now? Yeah, absolutely. So a good broker should be able to go through your situation and give you a pretty accurate number on what you can do with the banks without having to lodge any deals. You know, they know exactly what a bank's going to look at your pay, your income, the savings, et cetera, and say, you know, Amy, you can borrow $800,000. So you don't have to lodge it with the bank. But if you, for example, down the line, you've figured out what type of property is going to suit you and you go, you know what, I'm serious right now. I'm going to start going to some open homes. Absolutely, go and get yourself pre-approved. Depending on how the... You know, what choice of banks you have. Sometimes you've got lots of choice. Every bank would take you on or sometimes you've got two or three lenders because something in your situation is a little bit quirky or maybe it's um, you've got a lot of commission incomes or maybe you're on a contract or maybe it's a higher LVR or, you know, et cetera. And so you might have to, uh, you get pre-approved with one bank, but you're not obligated to use that bank. And that pre-approval would usually last three to six months. And a broker would guide you through that process. They would say, look, we need your pay slips. We need your driver's license, your passport. We need evidence of your savings. Um, then they would produce some compliance documents for you. And then they would lodge it with the bank, talk to the bank direct, and then get you a piece of paper that says you're pre-approved for usually 90 or you know 180 days, depending on the bank. 
And that can, that 90 or 120 days can go very quickly if all of a sudden you're sitting on this pre-approval, but you haven't put that time and effort and research into figuring out what you're going to buy. Because for some people, they do have clarity around that, but for others, they actually have to sit back and have a think about it, but do property research. And the good thing about property research here in Australia is all of this information is actually at our fingertips. It's it's free. You can use realestate.com.au. The sold tab is a goldmine to see what properties are selling for in the areas you want to live in. Does that align with your expectations? Do you have to tweak things at the start? You can figure it all out beforehand. Use Mm. Google Maps to do some exploring. Head out there on the street and walk around. And, you know, you can go to start some inspections in that research phase to get a feel for what your money buys you in that area. But do all of that first. So get emotionally ready Get yep. financially ready, and what I mean by that is is, is getting the savings in place and the, the savings habits and the 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 deposit, et cetera, and then you get the pre-approval. And yep. then once you've got the pre-approval, that's almost like your, your go ticket. Let's go. Let's go and find a property now, yep. having done the hard yards beforehand. And I think nothing's more hard yards but also more rewarding than actually going to open homes and going to auctions and tracking a property and saying, well, it listed at 700 and it sold for 850 and looking at past sales, et cetera, and get on the ground, um, you know, because it does take many months to get those reference points. Now, there's no big deal if your pre-approval lapses. There's no cost mm, to do a yeah. pre-approval. Um, you know, it doesn't damage your credit file unless you do three or four of them and you get declined. So you could lodge a pre-approval and then three months lodge another one and then three months lodge another one. It's not going to damage your credit file. And um, if you have to switch from one bank to another, that's totally fine. So don't be afraid of a pre-approval. But then mm. also don't just go and get it unnecessarily it. Yeah. if you're not even really in the market. You're just trying to test the numbers because a broker could test the numbers without having to lodge. So the pre-buying process is all about creating a strategy, figuring out your why, figuring out your when, just as important, yeah. um, getting your deposit ready, making sure you can afford to buy what you want to, or if not, figuring out, well, do I change tact or do I compromise yeah. or do I just wait? That's fine. You yeah. can wait. That that is That can be yeah. a strategy as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't rush into it. Um, and then when you're ready to actually go out there and start buying properties, um, get, getting your pre-approval sorted. But yeah. coming back to what you just said too, Chris, there is no such thing as too early to start educating yourself on this entire process. Yeah. and because once you go out there and start going to properties and speaking to real estate agents and just say you find one that's awesome in the first week or two, having that confidence to then make decisions, that's a totally different kettle of fish. Yeah, and I think this is where you really, you know, you've got a confidence with your pre-approval, you know finance is ready, but then you know there's all these other things from a due diligence you need to do. And I think this is where um, a, a great buyer's agent can guide you through the process. But if you're not using a buyer's agent, we'll talk through some of the things you need to be doing. As a buyer's agent, I get an outcome on average within six weeks with a client. So that is they're coming to me and from signing up to purchase an average at six weeks, some clients is one week and some clients is four months. Everyone's, of course, very different. But if buyers are doing it by themselves, I can assure you that on average, they're going to be taking much, much longer than six weeks. So you can take the uh, the, the the principles that I apply to the buying process and apply it to your own situation yep. to get a better, faster outcome. And property is not about speed, but it is about being prepared and educated so that if the right property comes up in the early stages, you are in a position where if you choose to, you can make a decision comfortably to buy that. I often see buyers who have remorse about missing out on that perfect property in week one because yeah. they weren't 
emotionally ready. And the more homework you do before you get started, it means that you'll be able to make that informed decision at the right time. Um, so when I when it comes to understanding this process in place, first of all, it is creating your property brief. This is what yeah. I do with all of my buyers. Yeah. How much is your budget? What locations are you looking at? What are your non-negotiables and your bonuses? But then more importantly, doing a reality check. Yeah. Making sure that you can find tangible examples of properties that are selling that tick those boxes. Yeah. Because if you can't, it means it doesn't exist. Yeah. Or you're relying on hope or the market falling to get into those areas. Yeah, I call that the needle and haystick sort of strategy. It's wishful thinking, absolutely. I think people do say, oh, look, yeah, I love a four bed in this street and my budget's, you know, 1.2 million. And you know that that's unlikely to come on. You know, great great properties don't just come on the market. You know, people usually try to live in them. And um, if they do come in, then there's other people waiting like you are for those properties and they go out of budget, et cetera. So, and you can you figure this out. This information is there. You go to the sold section. Don't stay too much in the for sale Absolutely. section at the start because as we all know what properties are listed for, they don't necessarily sell for. Yep. The sold section is a goldmine because if you can see properties that you can afford that you like selling in those suburbs, you know, a couple of times a month, that demonstrates you've got a feasible and achievable brief. So that's the first thing we do. We figure out what our property brief is and then we do our reality check. And then from there, we go out searching. We do online searching. We're doing that proactively every day on ideally checking, setting yourself up for those alerts on, you know, realestate.com.au. Um, but then also just as important is the agent communication. And that's how you get access to off-market or pre-market properties, yeah. which aren't advertised online. And I buy around a third of my clients' properties off-market. There are many, many out there. They're not all great, but there is, there's thousands that you can't see at any point in time. Yeah, so off-market is traditionally people that are not listing, there's no plans to list, let's call it, and then pre-market are people who are thinking about listing, but maybe they just haven't got their ducks lined up right and they haven't done their photos and they maybe they haven't got the styling done yet, et cetera, but they'd be willing well, to sell potentially if they got a good price yeah. and the agent might get you through. Is that sort of your understanding of both of Yes them? and no, yes and no. So off-market can also be people who are genuinely wanting to sell, yeah. um, but they don't want to go through the stress of putting it online, spending money, yeah. or that agent has said, I, I can get you buyers without the hassle of without that, we'll sell it off market. So they are still genuinely motivated yeah. and they're there to sell. Um, some other off markets are not motivated at all yeah. and they can be a waste of time, but it, the, the whole idea about it is to get more opportunity, right? And then we have pre-markets. Now, a pre-market property could be coming online tomorrow or it could be coming online yeah. in two months. It's at yeah. various stages of at some point coming on. Mm. And then there'll be also various stages of vendor motivation. So some vendors will say, oh, you know, I'm going to put it online in a week, but if I get the right price, I'll sell now. Mm. Or they've bought elsewhere. They've committed elsewhere. They can sell it for a price they're happy with with the right settlement. They'll be happy to sell it pre-market. Save, you know, five or ten grand on advertising. It's a win-win. And do you find that the, to get access to those properties, the agents have really got to trust you as a buyer, know that you've been around, know that you're really motivated because these people generally don't want lots of people coming through their homes. That's why it's still pre-market. That's why it's still off-market. So you Sometimes. you need to build the trust with the agent to to be on their hot list, I guess, of a buyer that's in their market to get access to these properties. Yeah, so there's a spectrum here as well. So some off-markets, the agents will blast their whole email list. They'll put it on their Instagram yeah, because fair, fair it's actually call. hard to sell an off-market if you don't have the <laughs> advertising platform of the internet. But then there are other off-markets that are quite, they have a lot of discretion. So perhaps the vendor is not well 
or uh, it's a it's a messy situation or they have really limited access and then they will only take qualified motivated buyers through and yep. that's where it is important for you to create that relationship with the agent and demonstrate that you're a serious buyer. And that's why as a buyer's agent, we do get access to a lot of properties that other people don't. Some off markets I'll buy have no one else going through them. And Amy, do you recommend uh, people when they're going through this search process? Because this could be the real, I think this is the hardest part of the process is plus negotiation, but just the legwork. And it's, it is a stressful thing and it has to be a priority. When you're saying looking at, you know, real estate domain every day, I think that has to be like that because great properties can turn over very fast and you can miss the chance. But do you, do you recommend that a lot of your clients would go and look at as many properties as they can within reason to get all these reference points to know what's when a good one comes along, they really know that it's a good one because they've seen lots of properties. Yeah, and that depends on their personality. And I've become really good at understanding what clients need. And I know I have sometimes I've got clients where I know they want quality over quantity. They're yeah. time poor. They know what they want. They're they're pretty switched on. That maybe they've bought a property before. They they don't need to see all of the no's got to you. make the yes strong. Other clients, especially first home buyers, they do need to see a lot of. Uh, maybes or a lot of no's to reinforce the yeses when they come up or to have that confidence that um, they've seen enough to say, okay, well, I've given this a good shot. So that does depend on on personality. Um, I don't think you should waste your time by seeing things that don't tick any any boxes at all um, unless you're just really interested in (laughs) in property inspections. Um, But you're right, being proactive in this stage is super important, not only looking online but calling those agents, emailing them, making a spreadsheet with them all and yeah. making sure you're touching base with one from at least from each a- agency. As a buyer's agent, I spend half of my day on the phone to yeah. agents. And it, there's also a fine line between contacting them too much and nagging them yeah. or not contacting them enough. So let's say they find a property, Amy, that sounds like it's a good fit, but it, you know it's, it's dangerous at this point falling in love with it too much, right? Because there's still so much due diligence that could make it a deal breaker, right? Yeah. So what would be the things that you'd recommend? So they've found the property, they've maybe seen on a Saturday open. You don't go straight to an offer. So what's some of the steps you'd have to go through here? Yeah, oh, absolutely. So doing all of your due diligence and it sounds like this, um, you know, boring homework research task, but you've got to do it straight away. Absolutely. And the steps in the due diligence process, most of them are free and you can do straight away. You can do it on your couch that night, sit down and, and work through it. And the first thing is figuring out how much it's worth. It's easier said than done, isn't it, Chris? Yep. <laughs> and it's not a, an exact price, right? It's a range that it might be worth around this, you know, depending yeah. on how much competition or what else is on the market. And it's it's not an exact number. It's uh, you won't, Properties don't excel at exactly what they're worth at all times. No, exactly. But spend, uh, I mean, for a comparable sales analysis, if you're not spending at least 30, 60 minutes working through Absolutely. all of this, um, you're not doing it justice. And that is going to the sold section and benchmarking that against other properties that have sold, which are similar within a recent time frame. Some are easier to do than others because they don't have many recent sales, many comparable sales. And sometimes, you know, one other sale might be a superior property, an inferior location. Well, how how do you compare that then? Yeah. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And sometimes you'll really get a really clear result. You'll sit down, you'll benchmark it against some recent sales and it will very clearly indicate that that property is quoted or that they're telling you the price is way lower than what it's going to go for. Or other times you might think, oh, well, this this price range is actually a bit higher than what I think it should go for. It's Mm. not always underquoted. That's step number one to figure out if you're going to invest more time and energy Mm. into it or how much hope you're going to get up for it. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Um, so doing all of that to begin with, and then from there you can do your council checks. You can call local council, ask yep. about local planning permits. You can look into the zoning and the overlays and walk around the area and get a feel for the more macro things. Yeah, all of that's free, easy, straightforward yep. to do. Um, and then from there you can get your contract looked at once that of that's available. Ideally, we're not making an offer if we haven't had a legal representative yeah. look at the contract. And then when it comes to a building inspection, that's going to depend on when you do it. I always recommend doing one, but whether you do it before you make an offer yeah. or after you make an offer is going to depend on whether it's a private sale or an auction. Yeah. And it's going to depend on how many terms and conditions you want in your in your contract, how strong you want your offer to be, so many different variables yep. there, but it's a crucial step in the due diligence process. And I'll, before I um, forget too, Chris, always check in with your broker yep. before you make an offer, yep. always. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a really good decision, especially in the last 12 months, we've seen huge declines in borrowing capacities. Pre-approvals can run out. They weren't getting honoured in, in 2022 for a stage there. It was a really scary time. Things have changed. So absolutely check in with your broker. And for two reasons, one, you've got to make sure it's pre-approved, still valid. And two, sometimes you might be buying a property that the bank won't approve. We had a really curly one just a couple of months ago where they thought it was a residential property, but it was a commercial property and they didn't realize. Um, I'd also suggest getting the contract. You might not send it to a solicitor, but just looking at the terms on the contract, you know, that could be they want a six-month settlement and you go, well, I don't want a six-month settlement. I want a six-week settlement. And it might be something that may not be negotiable for them. And so um, that's something just to, to look in very early on as well. But you don't want to go and send all your contracts off to solicitors and building a pest with all these properties if it's not realistic on your price. You haven't gone and potentially tried to see it at a different time of the day. And, um, you know, if it's it's always great to see a property more than once, right? Um, mm. And at different times that you might make, because the agent's always going to show it at the best time for that property. So yeah. that stage is so important. And you know, you don't want to fall in love with the property too much because you'll start missing some of these steps. You'll, you know, maybe not go and look at it again. You think she'll be right or you maybe be a bit relaxed around the contract checked or you're just going too optimistic with the building and pest and you'll just look past all the negatives potentially. Yeah, exactly right. So when when you find a property and it's a green light and a green light is basically a tick, ticks the boxes, yeah. we want to buy it, <laughs> um, getting into action and doing these things as soon as possible, the free things, the, free, the, th the comparable sales and the council checks, all those things so you can get ready, the contract review at the, the right point in time too and the building inspection. Um, but what you want to avoid is liking a property procrastinating and then getting yep. a phone call from the agent to say, hey, we've got an offer. You need yep. to make an offer today or tomorrow. And you saying, wow, I'm going to miss this just because I wasn't I wasn't ready. Yeah. And maybe that's a real offer. Maybe it's not a real offer. But the reality is you like the property and you haven't done your due diligence. So you're not in a position to at least Don't start a choice. negotiation um, and you're on the back foot and things can happen if it's a real offer. Um, and they're not just calling you and they're calling other people, things could be happening in the next hour or two. Exactly. And you may be busy at work on a Thursday afternoon and have – so if you are in – do like the property and it is the one you've been looking for, you're right, procrastination can be really costly here because you can be stuck at a point where you – you know, the the odds are against you buying it and the only way to do it is to probably a big price, which you haven't checked whether it's a fair price. Yeah, exactly. And and auction properties, you might think, oh, well, the auction's in a couple of weeks. I've got yeah. plenty of time. Yeah. But they can sell prior to auction. Absolutely. So knowing what the due diligence steps are is, is essential, knowing what the steps are, who to speak to it at which point in time. Um, for example, getting your 
getting a team together at the very beginning is a good idea. Don't be ringing around or Googling solicitors on a Friday afternoon when you've got to make an offer the next day. Um, Have them there and sort of, you know, know what their costs are and know how quickly they could do a review. And if one building inspector is not free, maybe you've got a backup plan if you do have to move fast. So knowing who to speak to and at the right points in time is vital too. So just say we've done all of our due diligence and now we're ready to to purchase the property. Then we go through the negotiation phase or the auction bidding phase. Yeah. And that is, again, easier said than done. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, auction is probably a little bit easier. I mean, obviously in different states, different rules around registering and um, et cetera. Some you actually got to register, some you don't even have to register. You can sort of just put your hand up. So you want to understand what those rules are. I'd definitely go to a multiple auctions, um, you know, and think like you are going to buy it. Just see how your emotions are, are wild. Um, and if you can, even if you haven't got a buyer's agent for the full search, some buyer's agents will just do auction bidding for you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, – I wouldn't recommend it to anyone bidding at auction. I think it's just too emotional and – um, what would your be advice around the whole bidding process and setting budgets? Yeah, so when it comes to to auctions, the good thing about auctions, sometimes people will say to me, oh, well, auctions, I just, you know, they just end up going crazy mm. and people end up paying too much. Well, it's absolutely not not the case. I've yeah. seen plenty of auctions where the property's passed in, it's sold later. And the benefit about an auction is that it's completely transparent, transparent. and there are rules around it. So setting your budget beforehand and walking into it with a game plan, it sounds obvious, but so many people don't do it. Having your due diligence done before because you're buying unconditionally, you can't be subject to anything. That's in opposition to a private sale. Mm. And in a private sale, which is essentially anything that isn't an auction, there are no rules. (laughs) There are no rules. So the agent could get you into jelly wrestle to be the, the the winner if they yeah. really wanted to. I'm obviously, you know, being a little bit crazy there, but yeah. they, they can do whatever they want. So they can take your offer, shop it around. They can take your offer and not call you back. They can just not call you at all. Like the, the, They can do whatever they want. They can say, oh, well, the vendor said that we were doing it this way, therefore we did it like that. They can do a best and highest. They can do a boardroom auction. They can do a backwards and forwards. You know, unless you clarify mm. the process and the rules prior you should actually not make an offer. You should figure that all out first because that'll yep. dictate your strategy. Um, and also what makes it more complicated is w- one agency or one agent might have a process for one property, but then for the next one they sell, the process is different because maybe that vendor wants a different process. Yep. So you can't go into it assuming it's always going to be the same. The same, exactly. And if so you try to buy a property through the same agent a week ago, it might be a completely different process this time. I think the other thing to remember is the whole process, it's buyer beware. It's like buying a car. You can't get to the sign that unconditional contract on auction day or buy something, private treaty under unconditional and say, oh, I, I want to change my mind. You didn't tell me about X, Y, and Z. Mm. Um, now th- we did talk about a building and pest if it's a house, but if it's an apartment, you really want to go through the strata report yep. in, in a lot of detail. Get a, uh, um, you get a lawyer to check the contract or a conveyancer, but then a strata, um, they may do it or they may refer you to a strata specialist that's in new south wales yeah yeah and they'll go through the reports how much is in the sinking fund any issues in the building etc because the apartment may not be getting looked after but you won't know about that till you've purchased it and you could be you know moving into a hornet's nest so i think that whole process is 
you've got to be thinking, you know, is this the truth? And most of the time, especially when you speak to agents, is there's smoke and mirrors. They do play on words. They tell you exactly what's going to create urgency, what's going to make you think there's competition. They're not going to, for example, say there's no competition, no one wants to buy it, and you could buy it for a million dollars. So you just got to be very careful believing anything an agent says. And when you get to the auction, the bidding or the making an offer, I think that's a real minefield. And I think it's a real art that a great buyer's agent knows how to play because they know how to ask the right questions around the, you know, what's going to be the the smoke, you know, what is the mirrors, you know, mm. that's what the agent says because they all have, start to speak a similar lingo um, when they try to manufacture offers and make you make an offer even though maybe there's no competition. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, when it comes to private sales too, unlike an auction where everyone's bidding on the same terms, at a private sale, someone might be subject to finance and you might be subject to a building inspection or have a different settlement. There's so many different variables that come into mm. play with a private sale. So you need to learn about all of the different ways that you can frame your offer but still protecting yourself. Yeah. So yeah, terms are such an important part, right? Like if sometimes the vendor's motivation isn't always money, right? I have purchased many, <laughs> yep. not just one or two, many properties yep. over the years for less than another buyer because our terms were better. And that yep. is either our settlement date was better. If the vendor, I bought one recently, we bought it for five grand less than the other buyer because we could settle on the day the vendor wanted, they'd bought. They yep. had to settle on that day. The other buyer could only do 90 days. Yeah. Um, or... If the vendor is quite sensitive to terms, they will prefer an unconditional offer, even at a lower price than a subject to finance or yeah. subject to build offer. And I've seen discrepancies of probably 30 grand is, is yeah. this highest I've seen. That is a lot of money for a vendor that values low risk. I've seen other vendors risk it for two grand. Yeah. I mean, sometimes um, rent leasebacks are sometimes an option as well. You can settle on the the property so the vendor gets their money fast. They don't have to. They get time to go and buy something. Um, might be six or twelve months. Um, we've seen even the personal letters sometimes. Hurt, um, you know where they've, they've they've really appealed to the the seller and said, "Look, we're a young family and we really love the area." And you know that struck a chord with the vendor, and they decided that. Um, we've even seen vendors pretend they're cleaners at the property, you know, <laughs> sussing out. So I think, you know, you just got to remember that there's more to it than money. Um, and so oh, you've got to play your cards right on multiple levels, not just assume that whoever offers the most money is just going to get it. Correct. So that's the offer and negotiation process. And if you're unsuccessful, well, it, it's back to the, the drawing table and reassessing, okay, well, why was I not successful? Yeah, that's if a good point. If you were the underbidder, which means you're the second highest bidder, well, that that kind of in a way needs to give you a little bit of hope because it means what you're looking for, you, you're in you're the close. right, you're close, you're close versus if you were outbid by six or seven other people, well, maybe you're looking at the right, of the wrong type of property that's a good point. or maybe you missed out because you, you weren't ready quick enough or your terms weren't as good. Well, how can you make your conditions better? better mm. in your next offer. So to reassess and, and learn from that and then go back to the drawing board. And if you've been really nice to that agent and you've got a relationship with them, well, maybe they'll offer you an off market or yeah. you know the property next door. But just say you are successful, well, congratulations. That's yeah. awesome. If you've bought private sale, maybe you've got to go then get your finance done or your building inspection. But then we move forward to the, the post-purchase phase, which yeah. To start with is we need to settle the property, so we've got to do all of our loan documents, our conveyancing documents, our final inspection, and then we settle. 
And then what happens, Chris? Yeah, I think just when when you do purchase, it's quite a scary time because um, you do need to be on the ball at that point because you've got to pay the deposit, which could be you know five or ten percent. Um, do you need to have the cash there ready to go? And sometimes people might have had four different accounts. We've had clients almost lose properties because they couldn't get the funds in an account fast enough. But then once you get that, when it's in your hands and you've got the unconditional contract, is get on top of the finance. Look, if it's a shorter settlement and potentially the broker's not the best or the bank, you're going direct to the bank and the bank stuffs something up, you need time to go somewhere else if things fall over. Um, and so being on the front foot through that whole loan process and same with the solicitors is making sure that you're doing all the documents and getting it back to them. But once you settle though, I think it's, you know, getting on top of your repayments, understanding how you're going to potentially, you know, build a buffer again because it's that danger zone. You go from lots of money in the bank to nothing, yeah. super stressful. But that can that stress can, uh, you know, evaporate after a few months if there's, you know, 10 or 20,000 that you've saved up there as your buffer. Um, and then I think it's just making sure you're doing all your things the building and pest is picked up i find that sometimes people get the building and pest you know it might cost four to six hundred dollars and there's lots of great value in that saying that these are the issues you need to sort and some of them are actually really important like there's a hole in the roof or it's you know dancing in a problem or maybe it's uh, something under the flooring that you could easily fix that maybe you neglect and then a year's later it's actually got to a much bigger problem so i would review your building and pest after you settle and go through and tick them all off um anything else you'd recommend amy i would recommend just having a yearly little meeting check-in with yourself and uh going to your broker and saying hey is this is this still the the right product for me the right interest rate can we renegotiate maybe looking at all of the insurances you have and making sure they're still applicable and maybe shopping around and getting cheaper insurances yeah um so yeah doing that little uh life admin thing on a yearly basis or even more frequently that i think we often push aside because it is a, a bit of effort but it can save you a lot of money yeah, especially insurance. There's a huge underinsurance problem on lots of different levels. And, you know, it's worthwhile just thinking through, yes, the bank asked me to get insurance for 500000 but could I rebuild this for 500000 Probably not. So make sure you've got the right cover and you're reviewing that. But ultimately, when you're through, that's the time to breathe. I think my, one of my favorite sayings in property is it's hard to buy, but it's easy to sell. So the actual purchasing process does seem a lot of work but if you buy something it's a great asset and you spend that time and you then you'll get the rewards down the line the the properties that are the easiest to buy and it was all smooth i just bought that property it was really easy highly likely when you try to sell it one day you'll deal with the pain plus you won't get the financial rewards as the other people so um yeah be patient and persistent is the sort of things we have to say to our you know our buyers because it is a lot of work generally up front to get those properties because you've got to get go through all the process. Absolutely. And whilst what we've just breezed through over the last 30 minutes is a really high level but condensed yeah. uh, summary of it all because there are so many different intricacies yeah. of each of each of the stages which we will talk about in much more detail in other episodes f- in the future episodes of this podcast. It's to highlight the fact that there is actually a lot to buying a property. Yeah. It's not just getting your finance, going online and going to an auction, if only it was as easy as that. But it's to also educate you on all of the different steps involved so that if there's any particular phase which you're unsure about or you say, oh, well, I didn't know that I had to do that, well, now's your opportunity to go and look into it further Yeah. because the more time, effort and energy you put in at the start and throughout this purchase process, the higher chance that you'll get a better result and it'll be a less stressful process as well. Yeah, I think just decision fatigue's massive in the buying process. You know, there's so many decisions you've got to make. We're on the type of property, negotiating loans, 
just conditions in the contract, checking reports, et cetera. So the more decisions you can sort of learnings you can get up front, the better. And thank you for listening and educating yourself. Thanks, Chris. Always good to chat. Yeah, great to chat, Amy. Thanks for tuning into the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.